This is an AMI podcast. I'm Chuita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. In 1985, Rick Hansen set out on his iconic Man in Motion tour. At that time, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms was young, as was the Canadian Human Rights Code. Amidst growing sensibility, that equal opportunity must be enshrined in law, there was a critical need to publicize disability issues and highlight the potential of people with disabilities. Over the following 35 years, the disability community has accomplished much to secure equal rights and recognition. But more needs to be done. With the Government of Canada having adopted the Accessible Canada Act in 2019, the disability community is yet again on the cusp of change. Today, we discuss National Access Ability Week with Rick Hansen. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Juwita Gupta. I'm the host of the program. And wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope you're doing well and I hope you're keeping safe during the pandemic. I just want to remind you that all of our daily live shows are being hosted and produced from home, The Pulse included. To keep up with latest AMI-audio segments sourced from our three daily live shows, please visit ami.ca forward slash COVID-19. Today, we kick off our week-long programming on The Pulse to celebrate National Access Ability Week, an annual awareness week to promote diversity, inclusion, and accessibility in Canada. With the coming into force of the Accessible Canada Act in 2019, National Access Ability Week is now legislated. It is to be celebrated every year, starting the last Sunday in May. This year, National Accessibility Week runs from May 31st to June 6, 2020. Over the next few days, we will be highlighting disability organizations that are operating during COVID-19 and getting a sense of the significance of National Accessibility Week at this time. Our first organization is the Rick Hansen Foundation, and joining me now by phone is Rick Hansen himself. Rick founded the RHF in 1988. He is a decorated Paralympian and disability rights advocate. Rick Hansen, welcome to The Pulse. It's so great to have you. Thanks, Jada. It's really awesome to be able to join you as well, and I appreciate all the fantastic work that you do to bring out tremendous education, awareness, and insight and inspiration to people across this country and around the world. Thank you so much. It's really so kind of you to say, as we get into this interview and into this conversation, what can you tell us about the origins of the Rick Hansen Foundation? What was its mission and vision? Well, it actually started when, as a Paralympian, I traveled the world and had represented my country, but had seen and shared stories with so many other colleagues from varying kinds of disabilities and perspectives that the world was very restrictive in terms of how people viewed people with disabilities, attitudes about uh, living with a disability, and of course the barriers that were out there were massive, uh, everything from policy to infrastructure to education to employment. And so I wanted to, I wanted to try to 
put my athletic talents to bear and actually try to make a difference. And I decided to wheel around the world uh, to create awareness of the potential of people with disabilities and raise funds to not only help support accessibility, but also to be able to help find one day a cure for paralysis. And little did I know at the end of our journey, we would have had an impact of raising $26 million um, in a fund that would help uh, continue to move forward. We realized we needed to create a foundation that would continue those two big dreams uh, within the Man in Motion Tour and recognize that uh, a wheel around the world while well-intentioned and ultimately uh, made a difference uh, was just a baby step in what was a big, big mountain of the ultra marathon of social change. And so the foundation was set to to join the ranks and to try to actually continue uh, that momentum and make it, uh, you know, the best impact that it possibly could for years to come. Take us back to the Man in Motion tour. What was it like for you? Did you think you would get the kind of support you got? Are there any memories that stand out for you? The, the, the most powerful memory for me was having a chance to wheel in the country of China. You know, this is in an era where, you know, there was a very strong cultural, political, and social divides. The country was still really just on the brink of trying to reemerge, but it was still very insular. Most communist countries had said no, that they didn't want us to bring our message in, and we'd been refused in, uh, in Russia and East Germany, and, and therefore there was uh, expectations we'd be refused in China, but little did we know that before our application, Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau had befriended uh, the leader of China, and his son had a spinal cord injury, Deng Kufang and he needed life-saving medical treatment and was whisked to Ottawa to get life-saving medical treatment. And he was also immersed in our culture, our values, and he was inspired to go back to China to help really drive forward opportunities and rights for people with disabilities in China. And that became the timing, which ultimately led to them uh, saying, yes, uh, come in and he was a champion. He thought it would be a great, you know, uh, framework for uh, a whole new way of thinking for people in China. And, and that was unbelievable, the response, millions of people from Beijing to Shanghai. And of course, personally having a chance to wheel up the Great Wall of China to the highest point is a symbol that there are no barriers or walls in life too big that can't be climbed. And so, that became a huge inspiration for me and also helped build a momentum for the last leg of our Man in Motion World Tour. In the 35 years that have gone by since, I'm sure you've had an opportunity to visit some, if not most of those countries again. Have you felt that the gap between the, let's call it the developed world and the developing world has become smaller or has it become wider in the last 30 or so years when it comes to accessibility and inclusion for people with disabilities? Yeah, I think if we actually put it in the context of, say, the topic of human rights, when I left on my tour, there were no human rights really in the United States. There were no human rights in China. Canada had just, as you said earlier, had just implemented one of the most progressive constitutional statements and in our charter uh, recognizing people with disabilities and and so there was a huge void out there and and I think uh, in all these years since we've seen a tremendous progress 
uh, most countries have adopted uh, human rights for people with disabilities, including China. And uh, ultimately, they've also signed on on the UN Convention of Rights and Freedoms for People with Disabilities, and they're reporting back on measuring and uh, you know and, and showing metrics for how they're actually starting to respond and adjust. And I also believe that through that process and through hard work of champions, uh, you know, people with disabilities, uh, organizations that represent them, families and others, uh, there has been uh, a lot of penetration of uh, people with disabilities in showing that they can engage in all walks of life. And, and I believe that the conduit then of communication technology is actually accelerating that sense of uh, opportunity and possibility and and the reality of it is actually now not in the future so I think that's really starting to make uh, us feel that we're making progress but again even though there are human rights in place it still doesn't mean that systems are uh, in place that legislation and policy and and regulations and then ultimate uh, adoption of these elements uh, but I think uh, it's a beginning and it's a powerful beginning for sure. I'm speaking to Rick Hansen, who is the founder of the Rick Hansen Foundation. When you think back to your journey that you undertook over 30 years ago now, what do you think the impact has been? I mean, a lot of commentators have said that this is a culturally significant moment for Canada and Canadians. But when you look back, what was the impact? What resonated with the disability community and with other stakeholders? You know, for me, I, I think it was adding, adding a voice and a spotlight to issues that needed to be accelerated. And uh, the tour itself was a moment in time where individual champions in local communities or in nations uh, around the world had an opportunity to voice themselves and, and actually to have it through a third party witness uh, that wasn't uh, someone internally who had been fighting the same battles. It was someone from another country or uh, when I came across Canada, there were a lot of very, uh, you know, embedded and emerging uh, not-for-profit organizations, advocacy groups, uh, and champions that were that were actually, um, you know, continuing to try to make their case. And, you know, even uh, even if they had uh, an issue with the tour, they had a voice to be able to express why. And ultimately, they wanted to try to get to, uh, you know, a translation from the charter to to these human rights that were deeply uh, embedded to the constitution or legislation that was necessary and for the grassroots barriers that they still faced. And, and I, I think that was the most inspiring part for me is to just to create that, that spotlight, that awareness, that dialogue. And uh, the one thing that I, I really was impacted by more than anything on that world tour was that there were a tremendous number of people around the world who were doing great work, who yearned to come together and, and who had a desire to be uh, doing work bigger than the sums of their individual parts, that there was this latent potential and desire to create a movement. And the tools weren't exactly well-formed back then, pre-internet and social media, but uh, the aspirations were there and it gave me a tremendous amount of hope for the future. And as a matter of fact, it changed my whole mindset from this being a singular endeavor to try to just make a difference and then go back my athletic career in Paralympics uh, to actually making it a lifelong mission and joining the ranks of so many people and all of us trying to uh, do our best work uh, and put the bar higher every year. 
And that brings us back to the work of the Rick Hansen Foundation. Just before we take a break, tell us very briefly about some of the initiatives you've been working on. I know there's a lot that you have in place to educate Canadians who are of school age and a wonderful certification program that uh, has made some important strides in removing physical barriers. So what is the foundation's work looking like in the near future? Right. Well, you know, we have three main trusts. One is we continue to create awareness because, you know, awareness is going to help make people realize that disability is a big deal and there's still lots of barriers out there. Number two is we want to make sure that the built environment, we can break through in that area, the places and spaces people live, work, learn, and play. And that if the built environment is inclusive for all, then uh, great things can happen. And then number three is that the next generation of youth we believe that they need to be aware and they need to be armed with the tools to be able to spot barriers and then to be inspired to be champions of change. Rick, as you know, we're dealing with some unprecedented times here with COVID-19. I wonder how the pandemic has changed the way the foundation is doing its work. You know, there's been a tremendous impact on so many individuals with disabilities and organizations that try to represent them or have their own delivery mechanism and strategy to try to make a difference and our foundation is no different we think that first of all that we've had to make a rapid transformation from working in a more traditional office environment to working at home remotely and and to uh, adapt uh, and to ensure that we're not only supporting our workforce and team uh, but to uh, also ensure that people who had varying disabilities that work with us had the technology to be able to interface, that it wasn't uh, just expected that because you have an iPhone, it means that you have the ability to communicate. And so we wanted people to uh, have that support. The other thing that we had to recognize is that there were legitimate uh, safety concerns and health concerns for people with disabilities uh, in our workforce and, and, and that they had to uh, feel that they were uh, connected and supported, and then there's family and uh, and a whole range of other elements that comes with working remotely and and maintaining safety, uh, having people be armed with the facts to be able to have the flexibility to respond appropriately, and and then ultimately to make sure that they had the support uh, and that their support mechanisms and networks weren't disrupted, and and so uh, that was a that was a tremendous amount of work that. Was done by our CEO Dormy Elling and uh, our entire team, and uh, we're very fortunate that we're able to still keep moving forward virtually. However, there is still, uh, like in any not-for-profit organization, uh, funding concerns. You know the disruption, um, you know, and, and the future impacts of the economy and uh, what that might mean to our ability to continue to keep working. And we'll have to be vigilant and uh, and continue to be innovative and make sure that that we see this technology and digital transformation for COVID actually helps propel us to innovation and to reach out further to connect with more people and to help truly build a global movement in accelerating change and get there faster. Now, you must have read my mind just a few minutes ago because there are no doubt a number of concerns salient to the disability community as a result of the pandemic Based on your advocacy work, what are the most pressing issues faced by the community right now? Well, when you extend it past our own experience with our own foundation uh, and our team, we've actually worked together with a coalition and uh, you know, there's over 200 organizations connecting. And uh, I think 
the first thing is that I think the pandemic has really reinforced that the community of uh, people with disabilities has that yearning that I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. and we just need the right sort of impetus. And they've really come together in a beautiful way to synergize, to collaborate, to find common ground, and to make the statement that together we're stronger and together we are a big deal and it's important for people to listen. There's been then an advisory group that has been struck by the Minister Quattro to to then uh, distill that down into providing some very concrete and actionable uh, requests. And, you know, we're really hoping that uh, in the next few days that the Government of Canada and hopefully other governments from behind will make the recognition beyond the support that they've provided for disabled uh, students with disabilities or seniors uh, who might have a disability, that there is a very a large group, millions of people with disabilities that actually have been dramatically affected. Number one, funding support, uh, direct funding support for the additional and dramatic expenses to just continue to maintain the status quo. Number two is the fear and concern of, you know, the triage rights, you know, during treatment in the healthcare side uh, to ensure that dignity and, uh, and rights are maintained and that there are no inappropriate decisions made in that treatment process. And number three is to really recognize the roles of family and caregivers uh, throughout this pandemic period so that there's no adverse disruption in that sense because you know it's such a critical part of survival and daily life and number four is to ensure that communications in all forms are available because during crisis if you're not communicating effectively whether it's in a press conference uh, whether it's in information bulletins or whether it's in face-to-face -face engagement then, uh, you know, people are disabled and uh, they have challenges. And then lastly is the ability to have an emergency response panel to evolve and upgrade. Those are all very sound and concrete suggestions. But are you also hopeful that in a post-COVID world, we're going to talk about disability differently? Rather than looking at accommodations that are geared towards individuals, we're actually going to move a little bit closer towards talking about universality and building in barrier-free workplaces and barrier-free environments. Because the pandemic has really demonstrated how easy it is to eliminate some of those barriers when we stop conceiving of them as requests made by a special interest group. Absolutely. I think, first of all, you're going to see a, a massive transformation in the healthcare treatment because you can see that there's a lot of uh, elements that have been traditional and very restrictive where people actually physically go down to a doctor. You know, the massive challenges that is for people with disabilities when there's, uh, you know, remote opportunities uh, and efficiency of conversation, treatment and support. And then if you move that into the workforce, being able to have much more uh, flexible workforce uh, opportunities and accommodation, as opposed to thinking it just for people with disabilities. And, you know, the massive impact and the opportunities, you're starting to see that with uh, a lot of companies starting to announce that, you know, the remote work environment is going to be the norm. And, and this will have a powerful impact for people with disabilities. And, and then ultimately, as we see the, uh, the transformation going forward, Inclusivity will be will become more than uh, than the fundamental human right, which often sets a a low bar, a minimum social safety net objective, mm -hmm. and people with disabilities uh, can actually help power culture, society, and economies, and 
and see this as a, as a sustainability imperative. And I think that's where we need to be, you know, have that strong social human rights safety net and, uh, and have legislation and policies and normalized requirements in there so that, you know, we don't inadvertently lose sight of that and then drive forward the conversation to go beyond because it's creativity and innovation that's going to continue uh, to move things forward to create that reality that today's standards can become tomorrow's handicaps and it's the innovation and uh, and that continual input from each generation considering the context economically culturally socially and uh, and then to innovate and keep moving forward that's the human nature and i i think that's going to do nothing but benefit people with varying disabilities i'm speaking to rick hansen founder of the rick hansen foundation Early in our conversation, Rick, we talked about the Man in Motion Tour. And of course, today we're talking about National Accessibility Week. Tell us about the significance of the week to you and whether you felt that the Man in Motion Tour had some influence on the week that we're celebrating this week. Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't realize that at the end of the tour, one of the great perspectives that I had from my experience in Canada, especially, was that why should we have to rely on, uh, you know, some extraordinary feat or endeavor uh, by uh, someone like uh, me doing the, the Man of Motion Tour and the team behind me to create this visibility and, uh, and, and normalize the focus on awareness and, and accessibility and, and give uh, a spotlight to communities and the great champions that are doing awesome work on an annual basis. And so uh, I asked the, the government and the Prime Minister and the Minister of the Day uh, to uh, to actually incorporate uh, an, a- an annual week that would uh, keep this uh, you know, spotlight going and and therefore uh, access awareness week was incorporated and uh, and launched uh, you know uh, by the federal government and it was uh, in about a thousand municipalities uh, all across the country uh, you know and uh, and uh, advocates and champions with disabilities were able to uh, leverage off that and uh, continue to create awareness and and you know it, it's it's really uh, I think continued to add value and 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 ultimately I'm really thrilled that you know, Minister Quattro has and the government of Canada has now embedded it as a legislative uh, focus annually so that it can actually be something that uh, you know people with disabilities can uh, leverage and uh, and continue to uh, sort of highlight one uh, that disability is a big deal two that there's been progress and we should celebrate progress three mm-hmm. to recognize the champions and four is to be able to set goals and to ma- ma- magnify effort for next year because we're always on the move speaking of setting goals one of the things i often think about is the relatively high rates of disability prevalent within our first nations communities and so much work has been done on reconciliation do you feel that all the efforts are culminating in putting together appropriate measures and standards to include people with disabilities in our First Nations reserves. Yeah, that's, you know, the Indigenous community is is such a powerful component of uh, the fabric of Canada and its uh, past, present and future. And what we have to do is clearly recognize their uh, rights uh, and uh, and ultimately their role in helping build the Canada we want and their, their, their ability to and their responsibility uh, and authority to be able to decide what's best in uh, in their community, and 
the legislative framework uh, for the Accessibility Act uh, acknowledged that that had to take place, and I believe that there's a lot of engagement taking place. But from my point of view, the, the fact that the, the prevalence of disability is very high in Indigenous communities across Canada, uh, and that there's a, a wide range of diversity uh, of, of, of governance and uh, and perspective that we need to really find ways to reach out and and to engage and find common platforms and and to clearly make sure that uh, they don't get left behind uh, and that they contribute and uh, and and that they make the appropriate decisions and that we're working together and I believe that from our perspective with the foundation one of our greatest uptakes uh, has been in our, our school program and our education platform in indigenous communities across Canada and and secondly uh, there's going to be a large uh, investment in infrastructure because there's a desperate need uh, right from coast to coast to coast and we want to make sure that our accessibility certification initiative is a, is a hallmark of that because if we get it wrong in the first place we're actually discounting the value of the infrastructure investment we're creating negative energy by having to advocate and, and retool and then it takes time and you know it's very costly to be able to go back at it and so we want to make sure that the indigenous community has the benefits of our certification process the the accreditations for the proponents of any work so that they can establish policies like any other organization and say have you got an accredited person on your bid team uh, we won't uh, actually support you until you have that and then you have to get a provisional rating and we want to make sure that all new buildings go to gold because uh, we should go beyond the minimum standards anyway when we can especially when we deal with new stuff and uh, and I really look forward to that engagement and uh, we're starting to see all kinds of interests uh, across the country. So a lot of things are changing quite rapidly, hopefully for the better. Rick Hansen, thank you so much for being on the program today. It was a pleasure. Well, Julia, thank you so much. And keep up the great work and stay safe and healthy. And uh, let's keep moving together. Thank you very much. That was Rick Hansen, founder of the Rick Hansen Foundation, celebrated Paralympian and disability rights advocate. If you missed any of my conversation with Rick Hansen, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. When we think about Rick Hansen's life, there's a couple of things that come to mind. I think about year-long advocacy and how the years can become decades and the decades can become an entire lifetime of giving back to the disability community. But I also think about the power of one voice, one person who wanted to make a difference, one person who was given opportunities and wanted to pay it forward. And so if we want to create social change in a post-COVID world, if we want to see social change as a result of the Accessible Canada Act, it needs all of us as people with disabilities to do our part. We may not all be able to wheel around the world. I don't think I could manage it for, for sure. But whatever we can, however we can, we should all be engaged to the extent that we can to try and build a better Canada and a better tomorrow. I'd like to thank Rick Hansen for being our guest today and remind you that we're celebrating National Accessibility Week all week on the program. We'll be highlighting some other national and regional organizations and talking about how they're continuing to work with their clients during COVID-19, as well as the significance of National Accessibility Week. So I hope you'll stay tuned for all of that coverage. 
The pods was produced by Enrique Delanroll. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI Audio, with special thanks to technical supervisor Paula Deneen. But most of all, thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to The Pulse on AMI Audio, and I've been your host, Joey Gupta. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.